And welcome in, guys, to the Flag Funding Podcast, the Ryder Cup edition. Um, as we are, you know, into the fall swing of the 2024 season for PGA, we take a little bit of a break here to come to the Ryder Cup uh, for 2023. Special episode for me and Ian, as uh, the first one of the first episodes we ever recorded uh, was actually a Ryder Cup preview. So, uh, pretty cool stuff to say that here we are. I guess two years later, right? Yeah, two years later. Um, so um, for those that have been along for the entire ride, we appreciate you. Uh, and then for those that are, are new around here, stay a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously uh, we are off to Rome for the Ryder Cup. So obviously Europe, yeah, the, the Europeans are hosting this round. Uh, the last time we had the Ryder Cup, uh, we had a pretty decisive victory for the USA in uh, Wisconsin. Um, I believe the biggest margin of victory in Ryder Cup history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do a lot of this. going to be a very different show than normal. I mean, the, the beginning will sound the same. Uh, the beginning will be uh, Ian kind of going through his uh, course breakdowns and um, kind of what he projects, what he's looking at. Uh, but then as we get into the latter part of this show, we're going to look at some different markets than normal. You know, it's it's different week, right? It's not an individual stroke play week. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here tonight as well, so we'll see where this night goes. But, Ian, I have to imagine that you are uh, pretty stoked for the Ryder Cup because I know this is an event you've been – you were you were very stoked in 2021. I know you really considered going. Um, yeah. So how is it this time around now that it's in, in Rome, and how was the excitement factor? Oh, yeah. I mean, excitement at all-time high. I mean, this is – we'll kind of get into the history of the Ryder Cup here in a little bit, but – Clearly a, a spot for the Americans to maybe make a little history of their own. You talked about two years ago winning by a decisive margin, 19-9 uh, in Whistling Straits. And now um, many of the same guys have a chance to do what the Americans haven't done in, in 30 years. So, um, yeah, get the coffee get the coffee brewing. It's, uh, it's going to be some early mornings slash long nights, depending on kind of how you want to attack the coverage. Uh, but good news is uh, the, the tournament starts on Friday, so it won't be interfering, hopefully, with you know your work week unless you – uh, are unfortunate enough to have to work on Saturday, Sundays, but um, you know you get from the bars at at one o'clock, two o'clock at night, and you get to turn on um, a little bit of golf, um, primetime golf, Italy. I think it's like an eight-hour time difference, so we're looking at like you know one a.m. to twelve p.m. Um, type of uh, type of coverage schedules. So yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be rocking the Rome, and obviously the Ryder Cup, just something much different than we're used to on a, on a week-to-week basis. So. Uh, bear with us if we're not maybe as full of you know official touts this week. Obviously, I'm going to have my betting card up within the next two days of everything I'm on. Um, but this is just as a golf fan, um, it's one of the special events that we have in our sport. So for me, it's um, it's just as much about sentimentality and enjoying um, seriously one of I think the most special events in all sports as opposed to um, just uh, you know sweating a few bets. So. We are obviously going to attack this from a betting angle. I'm going to give you all my insights on the golf course that I have, all the uh, metrics that I'm using, and obviously some some power rankings and some bets uh, to look out for at the end. But uh, let's let's first set the stage. The 2023 Ryder Cup. Uh, this is the 44th iteration of this bi- uh, biennial competition uh, between the 12 best golfers from the United States and the 12 best fr- golfers from Europe. Um, now this is the 44th rendition, the first 22 Ryder Cups, all those played before 1977, featured a competition between the U.S. team and the best golfers from just the British Isles, uh, so Great Britain and Ireland. 
Now, in that time, uh, before 1977, the United States dominated uh, Great Britain and Ireland. Um, They recorded a record in 22 starts of 18 wins to just three losses and one draw. Uh, So before, again, before 1977, this is very much like the President's Cup in that it felt a lot more like an exhibition. The Americans typically just dominated uh, a much, um, a very undermanned Great Britain and Ireland team uh, for much of the competition for now going on half of the competition um, but starting in 1979, uh, the competition expanded to include the entire European continent. Uh, so obviously now um, you'll have Spaniards, you'll have Frenchmen, Italians, all the way up to, I don't know if there's ever been a Russian, but I would assume Russia is, um, I don't know about now in 2023, but I would assume upon the original um, invention or the original expansion of the Ryder Cup, it is the entire European continent now going up against the United States of America. And since that, um, that shift, the balance of power has drastically shifted toward the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, Europe, since 1979, has lifted the cup 12 times compared to just nine for the Americans. And European dominance has been especially profound in their own backyard. As, they've defeated, as they defeated the Americans in all but two meetings since 1981 in Europe, and they currently hold a streak of six consecutive wins on home soil dating back to 1995. Uh, of course, that means the last time the Americans were able to win on European soil was 1993 at the Belfry, uh, which means that five members of this year's team have never, haven't even been alive to ever see an American win on European soil. Those five being Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, Sam Burns, have uh, yeah, never even a um, never even a thought in their in their parents' minds uh, before or since the last time the Americans uh, were able to get the job done here in Europe. So. However, if there was maybe a time or a point in the history of the last 30 years where it feels like the Americans have some kind of forward momentum going into a European competition, it would have to be this year in 2023. Chris mentioned earlier, um, two years now, uh, almost to the day now since they set the scoring record in Whistling Straits. Uh, they won 19-9 over the Europeans. It was an absolute demolition. was never close. They beat. They won all five sessions, uh, the two on Friday, two on Saturday, and two, and the, obviously the singles on Sunday. Um and uh, basically, all of golf, all of golf Twitter cashed a, uh, a nice little one minus one sixty to minus one eighty to Ben when he got it. Um, but it was a pretty deci- It was obviously a really decisive win, and I think most people in the know in golf kind of saw that coming. And um, yeah, it, it kind of made the last two Ryder Cups where I feel like most kind of golf fans kind of had saw the writing on the wall there. Um, so again, the Americans going for history once again now across the pond, uh, trying to win their second in a row and their third of the last four. Uh, now, before we get into the actual golf course, let's go into, for those of you that are new to golf um, or new to the Ryder Cup, I should say, let's go into maybe a bit of the format here. I'll keep this really concise because I feel like most of y'all will know what's going on. Um, but on Friday and Saturday, um, it is split up between two sessions. So we have four total sessions on Friday and Saturday. They are made up of two different team competitions or partner, or I guess pairing competitions, 2v2s. Um, the first term you'll hear, uh, all weekend is going to be foursomes, uh, which for those of us in America, we tend to call foursomes alternate shots. Uh, if you watch any of the team events like the Zero Classic or the P or um, yeah, like the PNC or the Grant Thornton down there in um, in Naples uh, in the wintertime, you'll kind of know. I mean, alternate shots, pretty self-explanatory. Um, one player tees off in the odd holes. One player tees off in the even holes and they play alternate shot until the ball's in the hole. And uh, obviously the, team that secures the lowest score on that hole wins a point um and towards the match so that those will be foursomes whatever you hear the word foursome 
that will be ultimate shot. And then the second format is called four ball, which in America we tend to call four ball best, best ball, which means everyone plays their own ball. It's four ball for a reason. Um, and you and your teammate versus the other two uh, players from the opposing team, whoever wins or uh, whoever records the lowest score on their own ball um, wins that hole for their team. So if it was me and Chris versus uh, two other players, Chris makes a birdie and make a par, the other two players, on the other team make a par, um, then we would win the hole. Even actually if I make a bogey. So that's one of the common misconceptions. Sometimes if, if I make bogey and Chris makes birdie, even though our score is even compared to the other teams, even the fact that he was able to, um, he was able to make a birdie and, and record the best score in the hole would win us the hole. So it's that format is more conducive to birdie makers. So you're, you're looking for guys that can go out there and make a ton of birdies. It doesn't really uh, typically matter all that much if you are a bit erratic in terms of your scoring, because typically if you're talking about two world-class players, one of them is going to be able to make at least par. So you're looking for a lot of guys that can play aggressively, make a lot of birdies and put a lot of pressure on the other team, alternate shots, um, Historically dominated by the Europeans, it's much more of a strategic, um, really thoughtful exercise. And that's where you really start to see teamwork come into effect, where guys are having to leave their partner different shots. And uh, obviously your shot directly affects what your partner is going to do. So um, foursomes and four balls on uh, Friday and Saturday, those are four matches apiece on each session. So you're going to have 16 sessions or 16 matches um, over the first two days. Uh, each match is one point. And of course, on Sunday, you have the 12 singles matches, which means um, every player on the team gets put into a lineup. The two captains compare the lineups on, I guess, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and they go out in the exact order. And obviously, um, it's just one on one singles match play. And uh, yeah, so that was that is notably the only time where the entire team is on the course at one time uh, over the first two days because it's only four matches, uh, four matches of 2v2. Uh, you can actually hide four of your players um, in a given session. So a lot of times um, when we when talk about some alternative markets, a lot of times it's less about projecting a player's course fit uh, and more about projecting how many times he's going to actually have a chance to go out and, and get points. Um, when we're talking about earning the highest uh, wildcard score, highest rookie score, some of the guys at the back of these rosters, it's, it's again, more about how many opportunities they're going to get. So um yeah, 28 points in total, 16, um, or I guess eight four ball points, eight foursomes points, 12 singles points, makes 28 in total. Uh, obviously, 14 and a half wins the tournament outright. Um, now, I will say in the case of a tie, the cup is retained by the team that brought it to the cup or the team that won it last. So the Americans as the reigning champions, if we get to 14 points, um, we will still retain the Ryder Cup, uh, which is important for those of y'all that are trying to bet, trying to bet the outright odds on the winner of the Ryder cup. And that's why if you look at a lot of these markets in terms of um, the three way money line, which includes the tie versus two, it should include like the two way money line, which is like usually to lift the Ryder cup. Uh, that's why the USA will be juiced in that market as opposed to the other one where um, <clears throat> in the two way money line uh, to win the Ryder cup market, the USA would cash uh, on a 14, 14 tie in the three way money line. Uh, where ties included, obviously, it's just like soccer. If the two teams tie and you have money line on one of them, both the money, both the winning money lines will lose. You have to bet the tie in order to cash that ticket. So, um, again, I feel like that's a <laughs> that's very basic level, and that's kind of a formality for the audience that I'm talking to. So let's get into the actual golf course itself. Uh, as Chris said, we are in Rome, uh, about 30 minutes just northeast of Rome City Center, Marcus Simone Golf Club. 
Um, it has been the host of the DS Automobiles Italian Open since 2021. Um, those three renditions won by Adrian Moronk, Robert McIntyre, and Nikolai Hoyard over those three years, which uh, if you've been keeping tri- tabs on the European team and kind of the cut, the cuts that have been made and the final decisions that have been made, all three of those guys were very much in the mix uh, to make this team. Obviously, two of them, McIntyre and Hoyard, are on the final roster. Uh, of those three years, 2022 featured what was far and away the most competitive field. Uh, Rory, Fitz, Hoblin, and Hatton all made the trip in addition to like your traditional European tour guys. Um, but 2023's tournament, unfortunately, was played in May. Uh, it, it was played this past May. It's traditionally played in September. Uh, but 2023's rendition was played this past May in order to get the course ready for the Ryder Cup play in September. And as a result, uh, a lot of the PGA Tour guys were not able to make the trip, the same trip they did, they made Excuse me, uh, heading into Paris just five years ago um, because they had other obligations with the PGA Championship coming up. They had an elevated event at Coyle Hollow, I think, the same week. Uh, so a lot of guys that maybe would have taken the scouting trip to um, to the Italian Open to, to scout with this golf course, a lot of them like a Rom um, or like a Fleetwood, uh, Holland, Roy, et cetera, not able to make the trip this past year. But, um, but again, um, we did have Hoygaard and McIntyre, two of the back-end European players, uh, play in the 2023 Italian Open. Hoygaard did finish T5, uh, so he backed up his 2021 win, in the T5 in 2023. McIntyre, which they had to withdraw after round one, citing a back injury. So, um, yeah, let's move on into the Gore Specs itself. Uh, Marcus Simone Golf Club It plays as a par 71, around 7,250 yards. Um, the three par threes in this golf course range from 150 to 222. The 11 par fours range from 302 to 525, which is a huge discrepancy. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, the three par and the three par fives play at 546, 587, and 597, respectively. Uh, there are water hazards in play on nine of the 18 holes. All five of the par five, all three of the par fives should be reachable. Uh, and I, like I said earlier, the par fours are more or less split into two groups. Uh, there are five of the 11 that play under 380 yards, uh, three of which are. Uh, drivable, 302, 303, and 329, respectively. And then you have six of the 11 par fours here, uh, or I'm sorry, six of the 10 par fours here that play over 440 yards, with four playing from 480 to 525. Um, the three-year scoring average here at Marcus Money uh, has been 71.54, um, and the winning score has never crested 14 under, which makes it one of the harder stops um, on the DP World Tour over these last three years. Um, on to the stats and the metrics themselves. We'll start Marcus Money off the tee. If the DP data world, or if, if DP World Tour data is anything to go off, uh, players are going to have to rely on their drivers a lot this week around Marcus Money. The median driving distance in each of the last three years has crested 295 yards. And with the breakdown of par fours I just mentioned, with three being drivable and seven of the other eight measuring 445 to 525, there's just not really a lot of option for guys to be laying back position off the tee. Um, as you would see to the place like Wiley, Harbortown, Sedgefield, et cetera, where there's a lot of kind of 415-yard par fours. Um, here, if you're laying back with three woods a lot, you're going to just begin at way too much distance in particular against uh, the elite caliber player that you can expect this week. So uh, expect a ton of drivers. Um, but with that being said, it's not exactly a wide-open venue, um, as is kind of tradition with the European Ryder Cup uh, spots. The fairway landing areas can measure as narrow as 18 yards across in some spots. And um, the Europeans have, have certainly not skimped on the rough length either. Um, we've already been seeing some quotes from guys like Rory and Rom about how gnarly the rough is. And 
Um, if you have any more than like an eight iron into a green on this rough, you're probably just going to end up being uh, just having to pitch out and lay up and, and play a wedge into your third shot. So um, in terms of driving, of course, the, those that are able to hit the ball long and straighter on this place are going to find themselves with a huge leg up. Um, but with the quotes that I, that I'm hearing from, from some of the players early on, I, I actually think I'd favor more of an accuracy based approach over a pure bomb and gouge. Um, so I'm weighing driving extremely heavily over these last three years. Um, actually over the last, uh, I'm sorry, I'm weighing driving extremely heavily and over the last three years on the DP world tour strokes gain off the tee has been nearly neck and neck in importance when compared uh, to strokes gain approach, which if you listen to this podcast week in, week out, you'd know that that's not exactly, um, that's a, that's a pretty rare, um, phenomenon uh, in terms of world golf typically approach is double maybe 1.8 1.7 times as important to finish this inside the top 10 as as, a, as off the tee um this week strokes and approach about a 1.2 uh, 1.2 x advantage in terms of driving uh historically over the last three years so with that being said I'm, i figured i'd go into some of the players and some of the players that excel and then maybe that are penalized by um this setup with how much I'm weighing driving. Uh, so over the last 50 rounds, I have a slight weight, again, to accuracy over distance. Um, very slight. I have 40% in strokes gain off the tee. Uh, 30% or 35% is a accuracy-based metric with good drive percentage and fairways percentage. And then obviously the last 25% is, is distance. So still a fair amount of distance in there. I still think, obviously, we've seen guys like Nikolai Horgard and Adrian Morong. Rory's played really well here historically. So it's not the guys that uh, hit it far completely dead. Um, but I, I would prefer, again, a slight lean towards accuracy. But over the last 50 rounds, my model spits out number one, Scotty Scheffler, number two, Patrick Cantley, uh, number three, Victor Hoblin, number four, Rory McIlroy, five, Ludwig Aberg, six, Colin Morikawa, seven, Tommy Fleetwood, eight, Shane Lowry, nine, John Rahm, and 10, Tyrrell Hatton. Uh, now, seven of those 10 guys are European. Um, I will say even though the top two are American, uh, but as is a common thread, I think, with this competition, the top tends to be pretty equal or maybe even a slight edge to the Europeans. But as you get further down, uh, the American depth starts to take over a little bit. Um, and four of the bottom five um, from 20 to 24 in this list. 20 is Brian Harmon. 21 is Justin Rose. 22 is Matt Fitzpatrick. 23 is Nikolai Hoygaard. 24 is Robert McIntyre. So you kind of have some really enticing ceilings on the European tour or for the European guys, but you also have um, some guys that maybe um that also underwhelm pretty significantly as well in terms of the driving so um something to look out for there but yeah certainly both teams are, are filled with some really talented drivers of the ball particularly with guys like aberg and hovland um how, how they've kind of come on over the last three months it's it's it really gives a decisive edge i think to the europeans in this particular metric uh on to approach play um and as I mentioned earlier, three reachable par fives, four par fours over 480, and three par threes measuring over 180. Um, Marcus Modi is not a golf course. They give you many scoring opportunities with a wedge or a short iron in hands. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could see players have nine, 10 approach shots from 175 and beyond. So that being said, mid to long iron play, proximity from 175 plus uh, will be a crucial factor in my model this, this week. Um, another consideration when projecting approach to play this week is the extreme um, topographical changes present here in on on, on Marcus Moni's uh, routing. Uh, the stark elevation changes here have drawn some comparisons to places like Augusta National, Kapalua, in regards to their uneven terrain. Um, and so it could certainly be worth the time to look at a player's historic performance uh, on golf courses where adjusting for slope is paramount for success. Um, so 
again, I'll give you kind of the top and bottom range of the approach model that I have, which includes long-term proximity splits from 175 plus, plus lead in, the, lead in approach form over the last three months. Number one in my approach model, Scotty Scheffler, common thread. Number two, Victor Hovland, also common thread. Uh, three, Xander Shoffley. Four, Colin Morikawa. Five, Rory McIlroy. Six, Patrick Cantley. Seven, John Rahm. Eight, Ricky Fowler. Nine, Brooks Kepka, And then 10 is a tie between Shane Lowry and Justin Thomas. So this one a little bit more even. I would even maybe give the slight edge to the Americans with four of the first six. Um, and then again, we have another similar thing at the bottom where the Europeans tend to populate um, kind of 20 to 24. 20 is lovely. Aberg still, although he's an elite driver of the ball, still a pretty inconsistent iron player over his short career. Uh, number 21 is Robert McIntyre. 22 is Sam Burns. 23 is Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, and 24 is surprisingly Jordan Spieth. Not a very good long iron player. And uh, coming in with some pretty abysmal lead in form. So something maybe on that in a little bit. Um, on to the greens themselves, uh, which are made up of pure distinction bent grass, known for an extremely smooth roll and some of the most extreme undulation on the entire DP World Tour. Now, the complex themselves are measure around 6,700 square feet on average. So they're not exactly the smallest targets we've seen all year, uh, but nearly every green at Marcus Simone is divided into several tiers separated by severe slopes. Um, so since 2021, it rates as the most difficult lag putting course on the European tour, uh, with over 11% of players three putting from outside of 18 feet. Um, so match play t always tends to skew inordinately towards clutch putting. I mean, if you look back at the past few Ryder Cups, typically the team that puts the best wins. Um, but this is a week in a venue that I would actually be weighing a little bit of uh, three putt avoidance, a little bit of approach putt performance as well, some lag putting stats into my process this week. And then the around the green metrics – um, as you'd probably figure from the scoring average I mentioned earlier, uh, Marcus Modi is not exactly a golf course you'd expect to be peppering every single green regulation. Uh, over the last two seasons on the European Tour, six different holes around this golf course featured a GIR percentage under 45%. And as a whole, both screen percentages and around the green proximity were much tougher Excuse me, than the average DP World Tour course. So I'm actually weighing short game as highly as I have maybe since the major championship season. Um, it's still not as important as either the ball striking metrics, but uh, short game prowess, I think will be a huge bonus around these treacherous confines. So um, this is a proper test. I expect guys to win plenty of holes with pars this week, particularly on these longer par fours, some of the longer par threes. Um, and so, yeah, I do have a short game model here that weighs long-term bent grass putting, three putt avoidance, uh, stroke skin around the greens, sand saves and bogey avoidance. Um, and I'll read that out to you. Top 10 being Fitzpatrick. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, Patrick Cantley comes at number two, Tyrrell Hatton, three, Sam Burns, four, Tommy Fleetwood, five, Max Homa, six, uh, Roy McIlroy, seven, Justin Rose, eight, Wyndham Clark, nine, and Ricky Fowler, ten. Bottom five, JT, Ludwig Aberg, uh, Nikolai Hoygaard, Seb Straka, Robert McIntyre. So, again, very similar uh, through lines in kind of each of the separate models that I'm running between driving, approach play, um, and kind of short game where the Europeans have – the guns to keep up with the Americans at the top. Uh, but as you start getting man for man down the roster, number eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, uh, I think that's where the Americans start to separate a little bit more. So that leads me into my overall power ranks, um, which if you've, I don't know, honestly, if you've uh, listened to this show enough, you'll probably get the top five or six uh, right off the bat. But number one in my kind of overarching model that includes everything I just mentioned, plus a little bit of match, uh, match play history and uh, just recent, Momentum, I guess, as Chris would say in the NASCAR episode. Uh, but number one, 
Scotty Scheffler. Number two, Victor Hovland. Number three, Rory McIlroy. Number four, John Rahm. Um, now, notably, I've kind of separated them into tiers as well. Uh, so I do have Scotty and Victor at, on a different tier than Rory or Rahm. Uh, but Rory and Rahm safely, I think, in tier two by themselves. Um, I would honestly almost put like tier one, Scheffler, Hovland. Tier two, A, Rory, Rahm. Tier two, B are five and six in my model, which are Cantley and Shoffley. Moving down to tier three, it gets a lot bigger, tiers three, four, and five, um, where it goes Colin Morikawa, seven, first in tier three, uh, Tommy Fleetwood, eight, Tyrrell Hatton, nine, Brooks Kepka, 10, Max Homa, 11, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, 12, Wyndham Clark, 13, end of tier three, tier four, Ricky Fowler, Sam Burns, Ludwig Aberg, Shane Lowry, Sepp Strzok, and Justin Rose, end of tier four, tier five, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Nikolai Hoygaard, Brian Harmon, and Robert McIntyre. So that is... Um, my yeah that's that's the interest of the test right there so um if you're looking for my personal power ratings that's how i have these guys in order um but obviously if we have some bets to talk about we have some different markets to kind of go through and uh maybe i'll share um who i'm kind of leaning on on the side here maybe at the very end but uh yeah i'll throw it to chris now i've been talking for for 15 straight minutes now so <laughs> we'll uh we'll throw it over there maybe we'll get some takes on some individual individual players some bets i'm looking at and uh just the overall betting preview. Yeah, so I guess, like I mentioned at the beginning, and kind of how Ian's broke it down here, there are a lot of different betting markets to tackle here. Obviously, the main one that everyone's going to be want to know, you know, whether you're a casual, whether you're a dive-in deep kind of guy, obviously you're going to want to bet on the overall winner of the event. You know, obviously that being um, Europe, USA, or a tie. Uh, so right now, Europe and USA are both even money. Uh, which yeah. we've seen a little bit of drift here uh, where a tie is plus 1100. Um, I think it is notable to, as Ian mentioned earlier, make sure that when you're betting, if you, if you're not seeing even on both sides, you might be seeing lift the trophy odds. Uh, whereas lift the trophy, obviously Ian said, if, if it doesn't end up being a tie, U S would still lift the trophy. Yeah. So make sure you know the difference between those two. Um, but obviously lots of other different markets here. You've got point score, uh, winning margin, um yeah if you bet the winning margin bet uh more power to you brother <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's i mean it's not as hard as nailing the exact in an nfl game but uh i mean i i would love to see the process of a guy that like actually actively um wants to dive into that market so that's actually the one where i would not saying chris was touting that market but uh yeah. that's that's if you, if you came here looking for for my exact score prediction uh in order for like you to make an actual bet on uh, that's probably not going to be uh, happening over the next half hour. Just to save you some time. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting with that was here are the markets that are out here that we're not going to be touching on. Um, however, the markets I think that are um, able to be broken down a lot more easily uh, where we feel like we have an edge in are going to be the top overall point score, top European point score, top American point score. Uh, and then we obviously have some other ones that we can talk about Um later on the show as we get further along but yeah let's just go ahead and just let's just go to let's just treat this part as if it's our normal show right so we're going to do the top overall point score right mm -hmm. um so just to kind of give everyone a brief breakdown of what this board looks like um kind of comparatively to ian's model the first four in his actually the first five in his pretty much match from plus 800 to plus 1000 for rom scheffler McElroy, halvin and cantley um, you got Brooks at 12, um, some other notables, Sanders at 12, Collins at 16, um, Hatton's at 18. That's probably where we would cut that. 
uh, for top overall point score, maybe a few names in there. Um, and then obviously the ones further down, um, you've got like a Lowry at 35, a Strzok at 65, guys like that, guys that probably won't be in the starting lineups. So I think in this market, we want to pretty much focus on the guys at the top because that's who we assume is going to be on the course the most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ian, let me actually throw this to you um, just so you can, because you were kind of breaking this down before for me before we jumped on here. Aside from the model, right? What are you mainly looking for in the top overall point score market? Yeah, I'm I'm glad we went to this one first. I mean, this is basically you kind of mentioned that this is the odds board that looks most like the odds boards we break down on a weekly basis. There's 24 guys, um, and there's actually some pretty palatable prices at eight, nine, ten to one. When you consider the the lack of depth in this field and um, the format of this of this event, so I would say in this market, it's I know flag hunting tends to like to scatter shot a little bit, especially in the fall swing. Uh, you're not really going to see me betting a lot of 10 to ones and eight to ones in the fall. We like to kind of take a back seat, throw some shots at guys that I've had long-term belief in Ryder cup. However, very different animal uh, to me because not all these guys, I mean, obviously it's, it's easy to say first off that like, obviously Rom, Rory, Scheffler, Hovland, Cantley, these guys have an edge just because they're better players, but they just don't have that edge. They also have the edge because obviously their team captains are going to trust them enough to send them out three, at least four, most likely five times um, over the course of the week. And when you talk about guys down the board, um, specifically, you know, uh, like way down the board, like the bottom, maybe six, seven, eight guys, your i um, sorry, your McIntyre's, your Hoygaard's, your Harmon's, uh, I would put maybe Wyndham Clark in that mix as well. Um, guys that we don't really project stronger as well. Uh, guys that we don't really project to have more than maybe two or three chances to secure points. So when these guys have fewer chances, plus they're not the caliber of player that you would trust to, you know, be favored over many guys around them uh, in this competition, it it doesn't you know you can't really make a particularly strong case. Um, towards these guys in like the top overall markets. Now there are markets that maybe if you are bullish on a guy towards the back of the board, you can attack it that way. But I would, I would advise against betting, you know, 50, 60, 80 to one guys um, as tempting as it may be to try to bet $5 to win 400 or whatnot. Um, there's just a lot better spots over the course of a golf season, I think to, to take those shots than this, uh, than this week. So, um, so my picks for this market will be quite boring. Um, but if you do want my leans early on, I will say uh, I'm going to first off get a shout out to my boy Byron at the model make maniac on Twitter. He's been doing God's work on this tournament. Uh, spent his entire Saturday writing 11,000 words for Rotoballer. Uh, he's got a comprehensive preview. He's just, I mean, he's, uh, he's the man on Twitter right now uh, posting all sorts of um, just tidbits, historical data points, uh, stuff to point out. So obviously you guys, you guys know Byron. He's a great follow, uh, but I do want to point to something that he posted last night. Uh, since I guess that would be 2012, 2010, basically over the last five rounder cups. So 2021, 2018, 2016, 2014, 2012, uh, there have been 19 cases in which a player has played all five sessions. And in 14 of those cases, that player has been European. Uh, now I think there's a reason for that. Uh, now Europe historically, even though I think the talent gap between the two teams is maybe as close as it's ever been. Historically, the Americans have always been favored in the Ryder Cup, which has kind of been a point of embarrassment for American fans because we feel like we have the better team year in, year out, and uh, Europe routinely beats our asses uh, with, I mean, I guess, in a vacuum, 
lower tier players. Uh, so because Europe typically lacks the same depth that America does, they tend to lean on their horses, their thoroughbreds a lot more uh, than say we do because we just have more options with the team. We like to maybe switch some guys out, guys rest. I mean, you're talking about, you know, potentially playing five matches in, in three days. So um, you, know, you have to be visibly fit for this, for this thing. And um, I think a lot of American captains wouldn't really like to play their guys five uh, sessions just to keep them at maybe peak fitness, just to give them a morning or afternoon off uh, just in case. Now, obviously situations will change that, but in general, Europe has been more willing and maybe and another way to say it has been forced to um, to play their their top guys um, for five sessions. And I'd argue this year, even though I do think the talent gap has narrowed, Europe will be similarly incentivized to hide the likes of a Hoygaard and a you know or, or a, a McIntyre or a Straka at the back of their lineup this week. I I do think America still has the best team from one through twelve um, in terms of just depth in the back end of their roster. And so apart from Scheffler and maybe a member of one of the entrenched two pairings, we kind of already have established from past Ryder cups. Uh, you know, I expect to see JT and Spieth a lot. I expect to see Xander and Cantley a lot. And obviously Scheffler is the best player in the world. So I expect him to go out a lot, but I don't really see a ton of opportunity for a lot of Americans to go out for three, four, uh, really four or five sessions, any more than three sessions. And so if we're looking at this, top overall point score market i'm more drawn to the europeans because i think it's particularly at the top with rory with rom with victor all four all three of those guys played five sessions in um in whistling straits and they're i mean i think three of the four best players in the world right now so i would not be surprised at all to see luke donald deploy them for all five sessions and for me if you're going to bet a top overall guy, I think you're getting a bit of value on the Europeans because the assumption is that both approaches will be the same from both captains. I don't think that's going to be the case. I would be more surprised if Sheffield played five than if I than if Rom, Rory, or Victor played five. Um, so of those three guys at the top of the European lineup, I have two in mind that I'm looking pretty closely at. I haven't made a single bet yet on the Ryder Cup, full disclosure. So all this will be just leans, and obviously I'll have my full card out within the next like 28 24 to 48 hours. Um, but if you go on bookmaker.com, um, Victor Hoblin is 10 to 1 to win top overall point score. John Rom is 11 to 1 to win top overall point score. Um, Hoblin and Rom, I would say, are the two guys that come in with the least amount of question marks, even as compared to Scheffler, who, um, I mean, notably had a really bad tour championship. He decided to fatigue. Um, now, that was a month ago, so you would assume that Scheffler is back and, and fully fit and um and ready to go out there and kind of reestablish the the stature he grew at whistling straits two years ago but in terms of recent form course history or i'm sorry recent form and course fits um rom and hoblin are, are, are my two guys here i mean rom i mean i guess we'll start with hoblin hoblin based on just recent dominance across two tours um i mean he is legitimately i think by most metrics, the second or third best player in the world right now. Um, you talk about total driving, you talk about long iron play, bent grass putting, Hoblin checks all through those boxes. And then Rom, who maybe not, maybe doesn't rate out as well as you would probably think for a golf course like this for John Rom, um, just based on some struggles kind of towards the ladder on the PJ Tour season. He, if you shrink the sample size down to three, four months, um, Rom suddenly gets a little bit worse in a lot of modeling compared to 
six, 12, 24 months. Um, but Rom notably had maybe his best week since his Masters win um, on the European Tour, his last time out at Wentworth. Um, and there'll be a common thread for the European guys in that the last time we've seen a lot of these American players was at Eastlake to end the FedEx Cup playoffs. A lot of the European guys went over to Europe and played uh, either the Irish Open or the Czech Masters or uh, over Wentworth for the BMW PGA. Um, I think all 12 of the, of the European Ryder Cup players played there. And in that tournament, Rom finished fourth, gained 6.2 show, shots on off the tee, uh, four on approaches, best ball striking performance against since the Masters. And when you combine Marcus Simone's combination of emphasis on total driving long iron play, it fits both these guys to a tee. So um, for me, it's it's Hovland and Rom at the top. I, I do trust them a bit more than Rory, who has had a few hiccups, I would say, just um, really since Chicago. Obviously had the back injury at Eastlake that, that really hindered him. He, he was never really in the mix of the tour championship. And then in two starts since then, he played twice in Europe. He played the Irish Open, uh, where he had a two-shot lead with 16 holes to play and absolutely gagged it away. Uh, played as bad in contention as I think I've ever seen Roy play. He lost to Vincent Norman, I think, caught him from behind um, as like a minus 300 favorite. And then the next week at, at Wentworth, um, went out over the first two rounds and shot 71-72 um, at Wentworth and, and was in a group, I think, with Hoblin and Aberg and looked – entirely off the pace compared to those two guys. Um, so Rory, just a little bit of concern. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in a position. I wouldn't really say I'm in a position to fade Roy McIlroy, but if you're asking me who I prefer in a market like this, um, I would lead more towards Holland and Ron, particularly if we're getting a bit of a discount, which we are over on bookmaker where Rory is the favorite to be the, the top over a point score. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of my take on this market. If, if I'm going anywhere, I'm going towards the top of the board and I'm going towards uh, the side of team Europe in this market. And obviously there are guys on the American side. I like a lot, um, but just based on the question marks I have about how many times ZJ is actually going to play guys um, and his maybe willingness to go all five sessions for a guy maybe outside of Scheffler. That's where I kind of, I would lean more toward the top American points market. If, uh, if I'm looking for guys <clears throat> on the USA side that I'm, I'm particularly bullish on. I think that's a very good transition because that's where I was heading next. So, um, yeah, let's look at the top U.S. point score because you did, you did talk a lot about Europeans there. Um, so I guess let me give my case for somebody here because I think I have a case for somebody. Um, and it seems like he would fit your profile. Uh, actually, let me look to see where he ranked out for you. One, two, three, four. Yeah, so your fifth-ranked overall guy in your model, um, Patrick Cantley. If there's one guy that I think – is going to be on the course. Like you said, you don't know who ZJ is going to be out, put out there. But if there's one guy that I feel like will be out there the most, other than Scheffler, I feel like it has to be Cantley because Xander and Cantley together as a pair are as dominant as uh, – that's not the word I was looking for. Um, struggling here. <laughs> it's okay. I'm trying to think of the word I want to go with. I guess the most consistent – the guys you can count on the most – in these, this foursome four-ball format, um, add that to the fact that when we get to Sunday, we're going to be heading to the singles match. Uh, the singles matches, obviously, I think Cantley being fifth in your model and seems to have a, a really good fit for this course, I think is going to be uh, you know, a guy that's definitely going to finish towards the top. Um, so, yes, I know plus 550 isn't the greatest price. I haven't checked bookmakers. I don't know if it's any better over there. 
I know you're highlighting something on your screen right now, but I'm trying to talk through this. Um, oh, you've already got it. Six to one. Got it. So, um, yeah, I guess for me, that's where I would lean in this market. Um, but, yeah, I want to hear kind of some about these, these other guys. Maybe we'll do a buy, sell, hold here in a minute. Uh, yeah. Some of these lower-ranked guys. Uh, yeah. So, breaking the fourth wall here. I share my screen to Chris. I have the exact same bet already posted in my write-up. Uh, so I have Cantley top American point score six to one. If I had to make a move in this market, this would be the direction I go. Um, I do believe Scheffler pound for pound is a better player is probably the best player in this competition. Um, but his lack of a locked in partner over the first two days does cloud a bit of, a bit of my projection with him. Um, obviously right now, it seems as if Burns is kind of the favorite to go out with Scheffler on day one, not exactly loving that pairing in terms of foursomes, just because, I don't really see Burns complimenting Scheffler's game. He tends to be pretty erratic off the tee. Um, not a particularly good iron player when he compared, you know, to the lead field that we have here. So they weren't a particularly good pairing at Quail Hollow, but judging by the practice rounds this afternoon, it does, it does seem as if DJ is kind of dead set on at least starting with Burns and Scheffler um, side, side by side on in Friday foursomes. Um, and Chris already mentioned it, man. Canley and Xander have already proven themselves as, in my opinion, the best all-shot pairing in the world. Um, they won the Zero Classic in 2021. That's a team event. Uh, they dominated in each of their appearances together at the 2021 Ryder Cup and the 2022 Presidents Cup. And of the two, um, I would say, because they're about the same price, I think you can just slight discount on Xander as opposed to Cantley. Um, but of the two, I think Cantley's elite ball striking. He's third in total ball striking beside or behind Scheffler and Hoblin over the last 50 rounds in this field. Um, so you combine that with his prolific record on Bentgrass, I think he's a better bet to make his way into the best ball portion than Xander. Um, I still think both these guys should be kind of mainstays on this team. They should get at least four sessions. Um, but I think Cantley's more likely, I think, to have success in uh, in four ball as opposed to Xander, just, just based on his profile. So um, I think they'll be favored no matter who they're up against, really, on day one. I'm assuming they're going out for foursomes on day one. Uh, that that official announcement we made on Wednesday or Thursday. It's 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 up to the host station, which or the host team, which uh, format goes first. But I would assume Europe tends to favor foursomes over four balls, so they'll send the foursomes guys out first. I expect Sandra Cantley to be um, favorites in almost any matchup they're up against, and if it's Scheffler Burns in foursomes, I would I would not be surprised to see them at plus money if they're up against like a a pairing that includes Rom or Hovlin or, or Rory. So, excuse me. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Cantley um, would be my lean at, at six to one. And if we're talking about three bets that I'm probably the closest of making, it would be the three that we've already, and we've already talked about. So good. eye uh, there we we're on, we're in complete lockstep on, on that one. Okay. So a quick question for you here, a guy that I think is most uh, intriguing in this market or eh, maybe intriguing, is not the right word. The most interesting to talk about in this market, uh, Brooks Kepka is at yeah. seven to one. But you had a little insight on some practice groups, and I don't see Kepka's, Kepka's name listed here. I was trying to do some quick research. Um, oh, I think I actually just found it. Uh, of who he played with, who Kepka was partnered up with in 2021. Looks like it was Daniel Berger. Um, but I guess of of these. Of the guys that we don't know who their partner is going to be, so obviously we know Xander Cantley, we know Colin Homa, we know Thomas Spieth. Those are pretty much the known ones, right? Have I figured anybody? 
Well, I mean, it, like Colin Homa makes sense. The the other two, I would absolutely agree. I think Colin Homa makes a lot of sense, but I it's more of the thing where I I'll believe it when I see it sort of thing. Even though that it makes a ton of sense, we haven't seen them together yet. Uh, they the, didn't they play together at the Zurich. Zurich or the President's Cup or something? They played together at the Zurich and it did not go well. <laughs> but that oh. was because that was because Home was like in the midst of one of his worst like ball striking stretches of his of his season. So. Um, but, but yeah, team it, chemistry is important, and they were pumped to play with each other. Oh yeah, and they're both Cal guys. They're like legit some of the best friends. So that's that's typically the lean that America goes with. Like we like to play the buddies together. I mean, Berger, Kepkin, FSU guys. Obviously, JT Spieth. We know about that. Xander Cantley, Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler. Like that's our mo. Like we like to play the buddy buddy pairings. And Home and Morikow are probably the closest to each other on the team. Um, so I think uh, you know where I'm going with this question. Yeah, go for it. Well, do you, who who would be paired with Kepka? Like out of the who's oh, left? Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly re- the reason. Like I, I, this is the price that makes the least amount of sense to me in the top American market. Seven to one. Like I, I can't see betting Kepka at seven when you can get Cantley or Xander at six or even more Kawa, uh, sitting there at, at nine or or eight to one, depending on where you look. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of just meh on Kepka as, as an American fan I kind of want him to, to play well but I don't really have a great sense on where his game's at right now I mean it's not like he's been tearing up the live tour since he won uh the PGA championship last four st- or last five starts on live t24 t38 t38 uh t17 uh and then he finished 64th in the open championship so it's not exactly been a, a stellar run of form uh for Kepka obviously Pete Brooks can can equate himself well to any venue. Um, but I don't really see the case for him in, in like these really these these top point score markets. I, I would rather maybe make a play on him in like an individual matchup if I tend to see um maybe like later in the week if I see, you know, he's starting to starting to find his rhythm. Um but yeah, in terms of like pre week projecting uh, a ceiling for Brooks, I think guys like Scheffler, Cantley, Xander, Colin even Homa around him, I, I would like more than Chef or than than Brooks straight up. So, um, so yeah, we're, I I think we're still I think we're absolutely locked up there in terms of like yeah, this is not a guy that pre week I'm going to be um, having much exposure to. So, um, but yeah, to cite kind of what you just said earlier, um, this kind of projected pairings is all based on um, practices that we saw on Tuesday afternoon. So. This is via uh, Ryan Barov on Twitter, who cited Scheffler Burns, Spieth JT, Xander Cantley, and Homorikawa as the four guys that were practicing together on the American team. Uh, Rory Lowry, Hovland Aberg, Rom Hatton, Fleetwood Strzok were the four on the European side. So it, it makes sense that um, it makes sense in the foursomes capacity because obviously Xander Cantley, like that is the ultimate foursomes duo. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know. You could this. We could easily look back on this, and it's completely wrong. But it's the only intel that I think we have as of right now. So, it's not something that's going to really push me into like a direction of being like, oh, I have to bet these guys. I would. It would. It's more of a thing that like it reinforces notions I already had more so than like it's creating new ones. Uh, if that makes any sense, where it's just a bit of a bonus to guys I already liked, as opposed to like, oh, okay, this is like actionable info that I'm taking to heart. So. Um, and it makes a lot of sense, just especially based on the American teams. We don't really know a lot about the European pairings because, uh, I mean, this is Europe's kind of in the spot where America was two years ago, where 
there's just a lot of young blood. Uh, you know, I mean, 2021 was kind of the last ride for guys like Sergio, for guys like Westwood, Poulter, Paul Casey, a lot of the European mainstays that have carried that team for a decade plus. And with those guys being gone, we've also lost pairings for guys like Rom. Like Rom and Sergio were dynamo pairing in, in Whistling Straits, probably the only pairing that uh, exceeded expectations for the Europeans. And then obviously Rory and Poulter have a pretty stored history together. So there's a little bit less tangible uh, historic data to go back on in terms of projecting the European pairings. But um, like this would be roughly what I would expected would have expected on the, the U S side anyway. So that's um, that's kind of what, what gives these insights a bit of an edge uh, in terms of me, in terms of the credibility for me. All right. One more in the American market and then we'll jump over to the European market. So um, yeah, let's play a game of buy, sell, hold here, but let's go to this wild card point score for the Americans. Okay. So in this market, we're looking at Brooks Kepka 250, Colin 350, Justin Thomas 275, Speed 500, Fowler 600, and Sam Burns 650. So I want to give you the one, the guys that aren't in these so-called practice pairings. So yeah. buy, sell, hold on Kepka plus 250, Fowler plus 600. Oh, I guess I don't have a third, do I? You? Uh, no, you don't, because Burns is with Scheffler. Yeah, I don't. Okay, that kind of blew up in my face. All <laughs> right. Uh, it's okay. We'll just play individually. Individually, I mean, you guys already know I'm selling Kepka, so that's not even like a yeah. doesn't even deserve any suspense. Fowler, I'm I'm again leaning towards selling as well. Um, I I think JT making the trip with Spieth now and having that pairing kind of entrenched hurts Ricky Stock um, in terms of getting opportunities to play because I think Spieth Fowler would make a lot of sense based on their past connections. Obviously, they're really really good friends, so. Um, you would have anticipated maybe Spieth being a potential pairing for Fowler. And then when you kind of take into account the fact that Xander Cantley are pretty entrenched, Burns, Scheffler are pretty entrenched. Now we have rumblings of a home and work Howell pairing. Um, you start to really kind of run out of, of opportunities early, at least in the week for, for Ricky to get out there. Um, and then you couple that with the fact that since his rocket mortgage win, uh, not really been great for Fowler on the front uh, 42nd and 23rd in his two starts in the British Isles, Scottish Open, the Open Championship, and then went, 58th, 25th, 16th um, in the three playoff starts. So never was really in the mix for any of those uh, weeks. It was really propped up, um, or I guess negative ball striking weeks in two of those three weeks and was really propped up by a good short game at East Lake. So, um, yeah, Ricky not exactly coming in in great form. Um, I mean, I don't think he's like – I don't think it's like code red where he's going to be an underdog against some of the – back in European guys in the potential singles match, but I don't see him as a guy that's going to be a, a mainstay in the, in the U.S. lineup uh, over these three days. So it'd be nice to see Ricky back in the U.S. uniform. Uh, he certainly deserves a spot here, but uh, yeah, uh, in terms of this market, I would I would almost rather just go with Burns and just play the fact that, look, he's going to be playing with the best player in the world, most likely at least one day, probably two or three. Um so while I don't really love the course fit, if you're getting six to one to beat guys like Brooks and Fowler, JT and Spieth, I don't really love. Um, it'd probably be either Burns or Colin for me in the in the top wild card market, um, because just kind of by default, I, I really don't like the Spieth uh, JT pairing. It'll be interesting to see kind of how quickly the plug gets pulled if that goes south. You would think that 
ZJ would have the presence of mind <laughs> to uh, to break that pairing up, but you never know how tied in he is to his kind of his priors and and all that. So, uh, yeah, again, Spieth, JT. Um, I, I mean, we kind of know about JT struggles, honestly. Of the two, I I kind of like JT more than Spieth because over the last two starts, JT's made now granted there at the Fortnite and the Wyndham, so with a grain of salt, but finished twelfth and fifth in those two starts, gained five shots in approach. Uh, at the Fortnite and actually gained putting each of those two starts as well. So JT coming with like sneaky positive momentum, even though like the narrative around him is like he's just completely washed. Um, I would argue Speed's coming in with a lot more questions than than his partner JT is because uh, last two starts for Speed Tour Championship at the BMW, 34th, 27th, but uh, has lost a cumulative cumulative um, 9.2 shots ball striking in eight rounds. So. Uh, the iron play has been abysmal. The off the tee game has really regressed from early in the season. He lost strokes putting each of those two starts. Uh, it's kind of hard to find like a real hold uh, or anything really to hold on to uh, for speed, unless he's just going to chip in like every other hole. So as an American fan, I kind of want to see this pairing just dissolved immediately. Cause I, I think they, if like, here's something to, to maybe look for on Friday morning. If, or I guess Thursday afternoon because the matches start on uh, Friday morning at midnight. But if Spieth and JT are favored because of just pure reputation, I just might blindly bet the underdog because I, I think Spieth and, and Thomas are a super vulnerable pairing. And obviously like if you go back to the president's cup last uh, fall in Charlotte, they were the best two players or two of the best three players we had. We know about um, Spieth and JT's history in Ryder cups, particularly speed. So I have a feeling that maybe markets might misprice these two just based on, oh, it's Spieth and JT in the Ryder Cup. Like, they should be favored against almost anybody, particularly when you talk about the Europeans' um, lack of familiarity within their their pairings. Um, but, yeah, there's not a lot statistically that really points me <laughs> towards either of these two guys. So, <clears throat> definitely, um, if you're if you're on the European side uh, for this Ryder Cup, you're hoping this, this pairing just keeps going out um, time and time again. So, um, yeah, that would be my lean there. I would – I think Burns at six is probably the best value, but I think Colin is is a really good bet to it plus three twenty five. Particularly if he, him, and Homa become like a thing. Really, really like them in, in both uh, foursomes and four ball. To be honest with you, I think Colin sets up really well for this golf course. A, a golf course that puts an emphasis on accuracy on long iron play. If he's able to ball strike it the way he's capable of doing, uh, he can really I think separate himself a lot um, by just peppering greens regulation and and making the pars on, on the uh, tougher holes. So, um, yeah, Colin and, and Burns would be my two buys in that range, and then everyone else is pretty much a sell, almost no hold. It's kind of it's kind of feast or famine in that wild card market. All right, let's, let's jump over to the European side now, um, where we have, kind of as you, as you mentioned, the Raman and uh, Rory's tier. Um, you also have Hovland um, in the mix there at plus 450 as well. Um, jumps down to Fleetwood at 650, Hatton at 800, uh, Ludwig Aberg 900, Matty Fitz 900, Justin Rose 1400, Lowry 1600, and then yeah, the rest. Um, so I guess from this market, right, it's hard for me to think that the pick here would be anybody other than Roy or Victor. Um, I think you kind of already alluded to who your pick's going to be here, but um, are you making a bet in this range or are you looking elsewhere for the European market? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say if I was going to pick a guy at the top, excuse me, for the Europeans, I would just bet him top overall 
because of what I just kind of mentioned earlier. I, I would rather just get the better number with the confidence that they're more likely to go five sessions and have more opportunities. So in terms of like, if we're just narrowing it down, narrowing our focus down to just this market, um, Rom, Victor, Roy would all be a pass for me. I'd rather take the better number of the overall market. Um, but there are two guys I think that, that catch my eye in terms of some longer shots you can take down the board. Um, Shane Lowry, 16 to one catches my eye a lot. He's paired or quote unquote uh, projected to be paired with Rory um, in the foursome session on Friday morning, um, which makes a lot of sense. They're both Irish grew up together. Um, and I think they played the Ryder Cup a couple times before, but I think the, the main thing with Lowry is it, similar to JT where he obviously missed the playoffs in the uh, embarrassingly missed the playoffs in the PGA to end the PGA season uh, was kind of written off as a bit of an afterthought for the Ryder Cup, but came back two starts in Europe, finished T3 at the Irish Open, uh, gained nearly seven shots ball striking that week, and then came uh, 18, T18 in a really tough field at the BMW Championship at Wentworth. Um, drove it really well, gained 3.7 shots off the tee, gained over two strokes putting, gained strokes putting in both of those starts, notably uh, on bent grass in both of those rounds or both of those tournaments. So if Lowry's to be paired with Rory, I feel like Lowry is a guy that sets up really well for this course. Super reliable driver of the golf ball over long-term sample. Top 10 iron play in this field as well. He's right there alongside guys like uh, Brooks Kepka, alongside guys like Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, et cetera. So I think Lowry 16 could could be a play for me. Um, and then I would say Hatton would be another one at, at around 8-1. to one. If I was going to make a move in this market, I, I think Hatton, again, projected to be paired with Rahm. He's got a nice Ryder Cup history as well. And Terrell's a guy that I think suits both formats well in foursomes and four ball. And that he's really apt at scrambling and saving bogeys, but he's also a good enough ball striker to create a ton of birdie chances and, and make a case in, in four ball as well. So, um, yeah, for me, again, I don't have – I have a, a smaller, I guess a less decisive lean in this market as opposed to the American market where I think uh, – Kaylee six one's probably going to end up on the card, but if I if I did have two guys that maybe even if you're not looking to bet a guy at eight or sixteen to one in the top European market, especially with the exposure we're already going to have with Rahm and Holland in the top overall, just talking about like um, individual matchups and stuff like that, guys that I'm just overall higher on than I think consensus. I, I I do like Hatton a lot. I do like Lauer a lot. Those are the two guys that that stick out to me. Sorry, currently fighting a cat climbing across her keyboard. Um, all right, so let's do the same thing we did for the U.S., except let's look at the European wildcard now. Um, one thing I do think is interesting, I did, I did look back at 2021 to see kind of some of the similar patents, similar um, partners that we had going on for the four ball and foursomes. Um, it looks like Hovland and Fleetwood actually played together twice in 2021. They did. Um, they don't rumored. They're not rumored to be put together this time around. But I feel like that would be a really good pairing. Do you know what the connection is with Aberg potentially? Um, I think they're just Scandinavian, young. Yeah. I mean, for me, so when I was kind of going over my optimal pairings, I I like Hovland and Aberg a lot more in four ball, just because like these guys are prolific birdie makers. Um, foursomes. I mean, it's not bad in foursomes. I think both of them are elite drivers of the golf ball. Aberg is a little bit deficient with the iron play, which could potentially cause a bit of problems when you're talking about Aberg missing greens and Hovland short game. Uh, so I, I would prefer them more in a best ball setting than in a four ball setting. I think Hovland Fleetwood makes a lot more sense in, again, foursomes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, 
I, I'm sure. Look, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have been, been paying attention to what's going on, what's been going on in Europe since the end of the PGA Tour season. Uh, but Ludwig Aberg has dominated the European. Like there, there's a reason like he's on this team, and it's not even like a controversy. Like he's there's a reason he's not only on the team, but one of the favorites maybe even to win top point score in Europe. Um, three starts in Europe since the end of the PGA Tour season. Finished T4 at the Real Czech Masters. Won the European Omega Masters and then came T10 at the BMW Championship in Wentworth. Uh, we actually held the 54-hole lead. I had him at 28-1, to 1, and he choked it away. Uh, finished two T10 uh, that week, but still three starts, one win, two additional top 10s. Uh, the the off-the-tee is just an absolute joke. I mean, he's legitimately one of the best drivers of the ball on the planet already. Like, I mean, he is... Very near Hovland, Cantley, Scheffler territory, if not surpassing a couple of those guys um, over, you know, a six-month sample. So I think that plays extremely well in this into this golf course. And he's actually a pretty serviceable putter. He's not like – it's not like a traditional uh, young kid out of college who just is a pure ball striker who can't putt. Like the dude is actually capable of gaining a few strokes putting in a tournament to really enhance that ceiling. The the, the main thing with Aberg is going to be the irons. If, if the irons can – sustained a little bit we've just seen him a little bit up and down there's been stretches in tournaments and, and weeks where he can gain you know three four five shots in approach and, and have a chance to win but there's also times in an event or weeks at a time where that's a real problem for him um so i there's just a there's a few too many risks for me and the fact that i think if you wanted to bet Aberg at the Ryder Cup for like top overall point score, top European point score, that window I think is passed. The fact that he's nine to one to win top Euro, um, and probably like eighteen to one to win top overall. Um, yeah, I, I, the Aberg hype is is here. Um, I would expect him to to be a very popular pick. I would say just for the next six, eight, ten months, he's kind of the European Cameron Young in that way. Young kid comes on the scene immediately, just makes a wave. Um, and so I, I would not be surprised to see him often, like compared to, um, his fellow wild cards, like a Hoy guard, like a Straka, like a McIntyre. Um, I think there's a reason he has like a significant leg up in, um, in those markets. The, the wild card market, I think, uh, is just, or actually the rookie market is just those four. The wild card market includes, I think, Rose and Lowry, Lowry right? Yeah. Rose and Lowry. Yeah. And Aberg's probably still favored. He's not Fleetwood is. Oh, oh, Fleetwood's a wild card. Okay, well that that changes that. But in general, current market price, I'm selling Aberg, even though um, it would be a fucking fun story if he was able to to come out here and, and hit the ground running. But it's very rare that a that a rookie comes on him. Even Hovland played five sessions at Whistling Straits, won one point. So I mean, we've seen uber talented young kids come on both sides and not really make an immediate impact. And Aberg has about as small of a track record as we've ever seen heading into a Ryder Cup. So it's pretty unprecedented for a kid that literally just came out of college this past summer, uh, 23 year olds, years old, already on the Ryder Cup team after 10 professional starts. So um, I'm willing to to miss the boat if he just becomes an absolute sensation in Rome this week. What about, what, so in the same market, top Europe wild card, Lowry is a plus 550 and it's potentially playing with Rory. Like, is that not a potential look there? I mean, how's Lowry looked? I guess recent form. Yeah, no, I, I like Lowry a lot. Like I said, um, I I like Lowry a lot more than I would like a Rose at three fifty. So 
and even more like I think he should be right there with like a Ludwig at three to one. Um, pound for pound, I think Ludwig probably presents more upside, but I could see Lowry going more sessions, like especially if Kevin and Rory really take off. I could see that being a, a, a pairing that just becomes entrenched over the course of the week. Um, so yeah, Lowry the- also played with Hatton in 2021, so he's got yeah. that opportunity as well. And he he won that match. He made that really clutch ball at 18, and uh, it was one of the really the only highlights of the European week. Um, but Lowry has been on record. He like he lives and breathes the Ryder Cup. I mean, this is one of the most important events um, in in the in the on the calendar for him. So he's going to be up for it for sure. Him and Rory um, is it's going to be a really really cool pairing if they're able to get together. So um, yeah, definitely. As far as that in, individual market top European wild uh, top, sorry top Europe wild card point scorer. You got Tommy at plus two thirty. That's probably a hold. Aberg and Rose at three fifty and three to one, respectively. Both sells. Nikolai and Straka. I just don't really see getting the, the amount of volume that's going to take. So, um, if you're, it depends on your, depends on your opinion of Fleetwood. But I would, I think, much rather have Lowry at two two and a half times the price for sure. All right. Last conversation before we get to your kind of overall winner here. Um, I think the Sunday play, not even the play, the Sunday mind games is the one, one of the yeah. more fun parts of Ryder Cup. Uh, going into Sunday, you have well, I guess do they announce it Sunday morning or is it Saturday night? They announce it will be it'd be Saturday night here. It, yeah, it would be it'd be they have a whole night to prepare. It's okay, not okay. like yeah, yeah. I think the parents get released. Actually, no, that's the presence cup. I think the, actually the parents get released on Sunday morning. So the guys won't know until they're about to go off. Well, yeah. mental warfare. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So what we're referencing here is coming into the final day where they are no longer playing foursomes and four ball. They're playing one v ones all the way down all the way down the board uh, with was that fourteen points available to, to be earned twelve points. Um, so yeah, that makes sense because otherwise yeah, uh, twelve points to be earned um, outright uh, in one v one matches, but. Each team chooses who their number one is, who their number two is, number three. But that doesn't have to be who's your actual number one, number two, number three. The captains are going to try to play some mental warfare to, to determine, try to get some favorable matchups out of this. Uh, so I guess going into Sunday, Ian, right, there's a potential that we see some matchups that we could look to play, Yep. given on what we kind of see matched up and what you've seen in the prior two days. Yep. Um. Yeah, I guess that's where I was going with that. But I just think that's I just think that's the most interesting part personally. I don't know. I just think it's yeah. so fun to look at. Um, all right, let's transition then to Ian. Europe, USA. Are you a trader? Are you going <laughs> are you going for the European side? Are we sticking to the to the red, white, and blue? Where do you lean as of Tuesday night uh, on this podcast? Yeah, I, I think that answer would change if we were talking maybe three months ago when I had a time machine. Um, so congrats to those of y'all that got Europe plus 170, plus 180, plus 190. That uh, obviously looks like a pretty damn good bet at this point. Um, I think this is about as close as I can ever remember Ryder Cup being, really, it, in terms of like me in the betting space. And I feel like 2021, the writing was kind of on the wall. Like it was Europe's last draw with their with their old guard and the Americans had a really exciting young team home, home field advantage. We hammered the U uh, S two years before Paris extreme course advantage. I think for the euros uh, you could definitely call into question a few of Furyk's mistakes with the team selection and uh, Europe trounced the U S as a plus plus one sixty underdog this year. 
to kind of Chris's point on Sunday, um, it's going to be really nice to watch a Sunday singles where I think it comes down to the last couple men. Uh, the last couple Ryder Cups have been, you know, it's been basically exhibitions on the back nine for, you know, the last few pairings kind of going out, just kind of waiting on the match to be over so they could go pop champagne on the 18th green. Um, but yeah, this is going to come down to the wire. Um, and so I really honestly wouldn't blame you on either side. This is not really, I'm going to give my pick, but it's not really a stance or position that I'm going to be comfortable putting a, you know, a huge amount of money on um, as opposed to maybe two years ago, but man for man, I still think the U S possesses the talent advantage. Um, albeit it's as small as it's been since I can remember, particularly at the top. Um, and when I talk about the course in Paris, I think when we, when we transition five years later to Rome, there's a bevy of reasons why I think the course this week plays a little bit out of the traditional hands of the Europeans. Number one, I think the philosophical differences between the two sides have diminished as well. You look at the European youngsters coming up, your Hovlins, your Abergs, your Hoyards, your McIntyres, et cetera. They're all, they'd all be pretty easily mistaken for, you know, having a more American style of play, quote unquote, a more traditionally American style of play, right? Aggressive, aerial power players. Um, I'd attribute this mainly to, again, this kind of new era of amateur golf where kind of all the top youngsters are well-versed in analytics. Um, they're well-versed in optimal strategy that encourages aggressive play. And for many, you know, they come into pro golf with a pro-ready game, a pro-ready mentality, um, especially when you compare it to kind of 20-somethings of eras past. I also don't think it's a coincidence that so many of Europe's top young talents come into America to play college golf. Hobble was obviously an OK State guy, Aberg, a Texas Tech guy. McIntyre spent two years at McNeese, at McNeese State uh, down in Louisiana. Um, but the main point of this argument is that because the teams aren't nearly as diametrically opposed philosophically, the course slash strategic advantage Europe has you know, kind of leaned on in, over the last six home rider cups would, I think, is starting to disappear as well. Um, you know, their traditional strategy of kind of allowing the Americans um, to bomb and gouge their way into trouble time and time again is kind of more likely to hinder their roster than help it, as the Americans actually bring, I think, in my opinion, a more reliable driving team. Harmon, Morikawa, Scheffler, Cantley, etc. I think the Americans, man for man, have a more, again, uh, reliable and have guys that are much more proficient with accurate with driving accuracy as opposed to the top Europeans. Guys like Rom, guys like Rory, guys like Hatton, Rose have all struggled historically. Fitzpatrick has even struggled with his driver. Um, over the last kind of three to six months. So traditionally the European strategy has kind of been, let's grow up the rough. Let's make it extremely difficult when you miss the fairway. Um, and the USA has kind of fallen in that trap kind of time and time again, bringing guys like Bryson, bringing guys like Phil Mickelson, bringing guys like Patrick Reed, um, who were absolute no shows uh, last time we were here in Europe in Paris. I think this team in I think this American team is much more built for a European Ryder Cup than in years past. And to further that point, I think the European team is not as well built for their traditional kind of play style, their traditional strategic edge they've had. Um, in addition, we kind of talked about it earlier, Europe's going through more of a traditional period where they use the trench roster. Mainstays like Sergio, Poulter, and Westwood are gone with them. Historically dangerous pairings on the European side like Rob and Sergio, Roy and Poulter are now gone. 
there's going to be much more uncertainty for Luke Donald when setting his team sheet as opposed to Zach Johnson, who will bring you know with him some of America's all-time most successful teams. Um, as well as a core group of guys who have not only won the 2021 Ryder Cup together, but also got further exposure as a team at last year's President's Cup, right? Guys like Homa, Colin, Burns are now kind of tried, true, battle-tested members of this American juggernaut, uh, whereas the Europeans are going to be placing a lot of you know faith in a 23-year-old kid that is fresh out of college, right? A 30-year-old journeyman in Sepp Straka, who hasn't exactly been a bastion of consistency week in, week out on the PGA Tour, and then two rookies who have yet to establish themselves um, – you know, in any capacity on the on the best tour on the planet in, in McIntyre and Hoygaard. So, yeah, look, I, I, I think these teams are, are super, super even. I give the slight edge to America's depth. I actually give the slight edge to Europe's top end. This is maybe the first time in my lifetime in Ryder Cup history that Europe has three of the top four players in the world. So that's definitely an angle that you could take if you want to tout Europe. And, um, you know, Rom, Rory, Hava can go out there and play their ceilings and absolutely clean up this uh, – this thing and, and be heroes for, for the European team. But in terms of just top to bottom, the certainty that I have um, kind of some bankable pairings that are already present in the USA team. And um, yeah, just, just the overall vibe I get on the, the, sh- the paradigm shift within this particular event. Um, I congratulate you if you're able to get a pretty gaudy number early in the summer on the European team. If you're sitting there with a plus 170 ticket on Europe, plus 180, plus 190, you can kind of just free roll this thing. You can kind of play this however you want. Um, but if I'm, you know, forced to to make a decision week of, like I am, even money on both sides, no edge um, in the market. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Americans. So I will have um, I will have a, a bet on the Americans for sure. Like that that will happen um, at, at even money. It might not be as big as what we had at the Ryder Cup two years ago, but there's really only one side I'm, I'm leaning towards betting in terms of the outright market. So. Um, yeah, going back to the Americans, man, let's, let's break the curse. First time in 30 years, it would just, I mean, how could I not like with this team? I think this team is, is just, you know, they proved in 2021, they, they're, you know, they're out to, to kind of reverse history in this Ryder cup. And, um, they're on a mission here in Europe and, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I really like what I'm seeing kind of on all angles here. So, um, again, I think there's just so many ways to attack this tournament. Um, I hope that we were able to give you some sort of insights and, and some kind of actionable info on whether it's a player, whether it's a prop, some insights on matchups kind of going into Friday, Saturday. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I've got for the 2023 Ryder cup. I've got USA team will be a bet for me. I will likely bet Cantley top American. I will likely bet Victor and Rom both top overall. Um, and then I'm sure I'll sneak in some, some fun, side bets or maybe save some some budget for some matchups on, on Friday and Saturday to, to sweat in the early portions. So um, yeah. And Chris, ha- unless Chris has any questions, man, that's, that's all we got for Rome. It was uh, it's fun kind of changing gears a little bit from our traditional format. So hopefully again, we were able to give you some info, but uh, yeah. Enjoy talking around a couple of you, bud. Yeah. It's always fun. Like I said, it's a, uh, it feels very reminiscent of the very first time we ever recorded. So uh <laughs> Definitely enjoyed tonight, and I definitely think there was better conversation around what to kind of expect um, to see for this this week. Better matchups to look at, better pairings to look at, better all around. All around. I remember just looking at the European squad last time we did this and thinking, like, my God, this is just this is just bad. Um, but now it feels tick for tack like a, like a real battle. So 
Yeah. Like, you know, obviously we're leaning the American side, but either way, I think it's really fun. We have some favorites to watch on the European side as well that we, that we like to watch. So um, yeah, overall excited for the, uh, all the banter that's going to be on Twitter for the next, uh, for the next week. So yeah, with that guy, with that being said, guys, enjoy the Ryder cup. Um, like I said, you only get it once every two years. It's a lot of fun. Obviously it's not in the States, so it's not maybe as fun as it was two years ago where it was a legit party in Wisconsin, but um, still an event that is worth all of the, uh, all the hype. So yeah, with that being said, guys, we will see you in actually, Ian, I don't know the answer to that question. When do we, when's the next time we regroup? We're back, baby. No more bye weeks. Oh, we we head right into the Sanderson next week. And then the, uh, Shriners after that. So, um, yeah, back in full swing, fall swing coming up, I think six or seven straight weeks. And then, um, after that, it'll be Christmas time. And then, you know, we'll be turning around for uh for the 2024 season so uh yeah regular episodes excited to get back into some of my little favorite niche venues at summerlin and cca jackson but um in terms of actual compelling golf and a compelling viewing product i think for most casual fans this is the week that you're gonna that you're gonna want to tune in this fall because um it's it's gonna i think this this is a Ryder cup that that potentially could set the tone for the next two three four renditions of this event just because I think these guys, both these teams, I mean, this is as young as the Americans, I think, might have ever been going into Ryder Cup and kind of same for Europe in, in at least the last, like, kind of 10 years. Um, so, yeah, these are the guys that we're going to be pulling for for the next decade plus, and the first uh, kind of first battle in that that saga is going to be here in Rome um, over these three days. So, yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, let's cash some tickets again. I'll have my article out tomorrow. I'll have – um, all my bets out at least by Thursday, the latest and, uh, just enjoy, enjoy, uh, one of the great spectacles in the sport of golf. So, um, yeah, that's enough of me rambling. Let's, uh, get off of here and we'll talk some Talladega, uh, later tonight.